Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. This is the John Fugelsang Podcast. There's so much to get to. Uh, obviously, we'll be talking a bit about Elon Musk buying Twitter uh, for 44 million. I'm sorry, 44 billion dollars. You know, a, a guy could have gone down in history for ending world hunger, bringing health care to everybody in America. But no, history will record our mega billionaires had other priorities. Just just remember, you, you know, Elon Musk told the U.N. a couple of years ago that if they gave him a budgeted breakdown of how six billion dollars could end world hunger, he would do it. And they came up with a budget, and they said, here, here's how we could use $6 billion to, to, to... And then he just decided, no, not going to do it. Instead, he spent seven times that to buy Twitter for free speech, even though Twitter is a private company's free online platform service, and they don't actually have the power to get rid of anybody's free speech. I'd love to know what you guys think about the purchase. You can always call us live on SiriusXM or write to us on the show's Facebook page. Um, we'd love to know your thoughts. I, I got to say, uh, the people who are happy about this are a little too blindly happy, and the people who are angry about this are a little too angry. I, I, I'm sorry. I, I know that everyone's upset about this, but, but here's two things to remember. Is, is it weird that I'm much more upset that it's a lot easier to buy the U.S. government than it is to buy a social media platform. I mean, the, it costs a lot less than $44 billion to buy the entire U.S. Senate. And right now, two Democratic senators are every bit as much for sale as 50 Republican senators. Mitch McConnell literally told the GOP donors to give Mansion and Cinema the maximum. And <laughs> purchasing them has already hurt way more people than Elon Musk purchasing Twitter will ever hurt. And also, I know you're upset about it, but take a step back and just realize, um, right now, imagine how Devin Nunez is furiously weeping and trashing his office at Truth Social Headquarters right now. Let's get to it. Um, former U.S. Senator Orrin Hatch, the longest-serving Republican in the Senate history and, and, and the longest-serving senator from Utah ever, died over the weekend at age 88. Um I wasn't planning on doing uh, uh, an obituary to Orrin Hatch, but, you know, the more I thought about it, the more I thought he deserves it. I'll tell you why. He served 42 years in the Senate um, from 1977 to 2019, including time as the president pro tempore of the chamber. And I know you're not supposed to speak ill of the dead. And our media has bent over backwards, praising his elegant and folksy career of placing special interests and the personal power that's obtained by their money 
way above the public interest. Joe Biden tweeted out during his historic tenure in the Senate, Orrin Hatch was a leader of deep faith who looked out for the people who often didn't have a voice in our laws. I spent a lot of time defending Joe Biden, so it feels good to be able to <laughs> bristle a little bit at this. Because, you know, yeah, um, he, he also did the other thing, Joe. Uh, he also did not look out for the people who didn't have a voice in our laws. But the New York Times really put a shine on Senator Hatch's decades-long disregard for the voiceless. Here's what the Times said. Maybe you read this one online. Throughout his Senate years, Mr. Hatch had been a gentlemanly conservative rock. He blocked labor law reforms and fair housing bills with filibusters, tying up Senate business for weeks. He voted against the Equal Rights Amendment, which would have enshrined gender equality as a bedrock civil right. And he proposed a constitutional amendment to make abortion illegal. In other words, he hated women's rights, didn't want women to have full equality, uh, shat on poor people and working people, but he was gentlemanly about it. So let me try to honor him. Let me be fair and balanced, because he had, a, he had an interesting life. He was born in Pittsburgh in 1934, grew up poor in a very Mormon family, went to Brigham Young, and then he ran for Senate, and he ran against Utah Democratic Senator Frank Moss, who does deserve a eulogy. You know, I didn't hear a lot about Frank Moss and all the fawning uh, obituaries to Orrin Hatch, but Frank Moss was called the conscience of the Senate. He came from Utah. He was a true Democrat devoted to hardworking people. He was a World War II vet. He fought against nursing home exploitation. He fought against the tobacco industry. He sponsored the 1966 Cigarette Labeling and Advertising Act that required cigarette companies to include warnings about health threats on cigarette packs so, and also banned cigarette ads on TV. So when you see that little warning label on a package of cigarettes, that's because of the guy Orrin Hatch got out of office. He was a man who backed civil rights, he backed women's rights, he promoted nuclear disarmament, he opposed the war in Vietnam while LBJ, his Democratic president, was waging it. Senator Moss was an original sponsor of Medicaid legislation. He tried to expand access to health care. He was a huge advocate for the creation of new national parks to protect the environment. He forced manufacturers to stop ripping off consumers with the very progressive Consumer Product Warranty and Guarantee Act. He looked out for the powerless. The guy Orrin Hatch smeared and replaced. I wish we taught Senator Frank Moss. So Orrin Hatch ran against him in a right-wing Goldwater meets Trump campaign. He called the other Republicans sellouts. He promised to, to ban pornography. He wanted to privatize Social Security. And he famously said when he ran, what do you call a senator who served in office for 18 years? You call him home. Orrin Hatch promised to not serve for too long in Washington, D.C., and he then went on to serve for 42 years. He became the longest-serving Republican senator in history um, and abandoned his term limits pledge that got him elected. Long before, How would the New York Times say, uh, long before Newt Gingrich went back on his campaign promise, Orrin Hatch was a trendsetter. There, I'm trying to keep it positive. I'm going to try and keep this positive all throughout. Um, he used the filibuster to kill labor law reform. There were 59 votes for labor law, but only Orrin Hatch was smart enough to use the filibuster. There. Um, the Salt Lake Tribune reported in 1977 that Orrin Hatch told students from the University of Utah, and I quote, I wouldn't want to see homosexuals teaching school any more than I'd want to see members of the American Nazi Party teaching school. 
Orrin Hatch voted multiple times to ban any federal recognition of same-sex marriage. He voted against adding sexual orientation to hate crimes and employment discrimination laws. He supported the Defense of Marriage Act. He had a 0% human rights campaign rating. He was the author of the Hatch Amendment, a vile little piece of work, which was his idea for a constitutional amendment, saying a right to abortion is not secured by the Constitution. The Congress in several states shall have the concurrent power to restrict and prohibit abortions. He made comments about how he thought Barack Obama, you know, should appoint moderate judges like Merrick Garland. He even once said that, you know, Obama won't support a moderate judge like Merrick Garland. He said that Merrick Garland would be a consensus nominee for the court. And then Obama nominated Merrick Garland. And Orrin Hatch said that Merrick Garland didn't deserve a nomination. And he made sure the only president to never get an up or down vote on their duly nominated Supreme Court pick was the black one. Remember back in 93 when Bill Clinton was trying to get universal health care? Orrin Hatch, was he became one of the sponsors of the individual insurance mandate to fight Democrats, you know, Romney Care, force people to buy insurance. And so in 2009, when Obama decided to use Ob- Romney Care as Obamacare and what led to the Affordable Care Act, in other words, Orrin Hatch's own proposal 16 years later, Orrin Hatch opposed it. In 2018, he said the supporters of Obamacare were the stupidest, dumbass people I've ever met. His words, this deep Mormon of faith, against the own policy he endorsed back in 93. Let's talk about corruption. Um, Vitamins. Vitamins are cool, right? We all like vitamins, right? Right? Well, you know, the supplement industry is huge in Utah. And Orrin Hatch had a lot of relatives involved. And he was their boy. Let's go back to 1994. That's when Orrin Hatch got the Dietary Supplement Health and Education Act, also known as DSHEA. Now lean in on this one, because effectively, DSHEA in 94 got rid of pesky government regulation of the dietary and herbal supplements industry, which means scammers could then put whatever they wanted in vitamins, and the FDA could not review or block any vitamin supplement from reaching market. They could only take action if people started getting sick after it hit the market. The Government Accountability Office found the marketing of herbal supplements, especially to old people, was filled with lies that, oh, these supplements cure disease, and they would recommend unsafe combinations. Well, Orrin Hatch's son worked as a supplement industry lobbyist. Two of the largest three campaign donors for Hatch in 2010 were Herbalife and Zango LLC a supplement marketing firm. So so what this law he did was when the FDA says you're illegally marketing cures for a disease, the business can say, no, no, we're not. It says right here, we're not curing anything. See, Herbalife claims that its Nightworks product uh, will help the body create more life-supporting nitric oxide, which they say supports healthy blood pressure levels already within a normal range and blood vessel elasticity and will also help, quote, support a healthy cardiovascular system. And then comes the famous line, because of Orrin Hatch, these statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. It was all a racket. Uh, Take 2013. Hawaii had seven cases of acute hepatitis and liver failure among people who use this vitamin called OxyElite Pro that, again, Orrin Hatch's DSHEA law allowed on the market with no regulations. And by the next year in Hawaii, the CDC had found 47 hospitalizations, three liver transplants, and one dead American due to this product. It was taken off the market. That's all on Orrin Hatch because he wouldn't let the FDA review these things before they went on the market. And when John McCain introduced a bill mandating reports of illnesses from supplements, 
In 2010, he tried to have a law mandating reports on illnesses related to vitamins. Orrin Hatch made him back down. And thanks to Deshay, the supplements industry went from $9 billion back in 94 to more than $50 billion today. And in Utah alone, it's worth more than $7 billion. I guess the New York Times would say he was way ahead of Dr. Oz. He was also a corrupt man. He was involved in the Bank of Credit and Commerce International scandal. Remember BCCI in the early 90s? The bank was laundering drug money and they got caught. It was shut down in 91 because they were paying huge bribes to governments. Well, Hatch went on the Senate floor against how this bank was being treated in a speech that was written by the attorney of the bank. Hatch was friends with them, and he tried to use his influence to get a $10 million loan for another friend. And as part of the loan, guess what they did? They laundered campaign contributions to Hatch. You know how? Orrin Hatch was a singer. He was. He put out albums of him singing. And so the bank lobbyists bought 1,200 CDs of Orrin Hatch's music album. It was a payoff. I guess the New York Times would say he was a successful recording artist. Which brings us to the cruelty to women. 1991, Anita Hill accused Supreme Court nominee Clarence Thomas of sexually harassing her. And Orrin Hatch was the guy who said she'd been coached by special interests. He said her story's too contrived. It's so slick it doesn't compute. See, Orrin Hatch has a long history of mostly not believing women who accuse men of sexual misconduct. He was the one who said he didn't believe her because one of the crude comments Anita Hill said Thomas made was similar to a passage in the novel The Exorcist. He was reading a passage from The Exorcist about pubic hair during the hearings. As late as 2010, he was saying Clarence Thomas deserves an apology from her. Anita Hill agreed to a polygraph test, and she passed. Clarence Thomas refused. Fast forward. Remember Rob Porter, White House Staff Secretary, Orrin Hatch's former Chief of Staff? Well, his second wife, Jenny Willoughby, accused him of domestic violence. She told the FBI that Porter had kicked her and punched her and verbally assaulted her. Orrin Hatch, former Mormon bishop, praised Porter and smeared his ex-wife. He said, it's incredibly discouraging to see such a vile attack on such a decent man. Shame on any publication that would print this and shame on the politically motivated, morally bankrupt character assassins that would attempt to sully a good man's name. I know Rob. I've known him for years as a close friend and a personal advisor. He is kind and considerate towards all. The country needs more honest, principled people like Rob Porter, which is why I hope this cynical campaign to discredit his character ultimately fails. Well, then Rob Porter's first ex-wife, Jennifer Willoughby, also told the FBI he'd physically abused her. And Orrin Hatch? He called the two ex-wives politically motivated, morally bankrupt character assassins. So then, uh, one of the wives produced photographs of herself with a black eye. And Orrin Hatch still wouldn't believe it. He is kind and considerate towards Hall. According to CBS, he said, I would prefer Porter not to resign, just work his way through and do what's right. Porter eventually left the Trump White House, and to his credit, Orrin Hatch later apologized to the two women he publicly smeared. But what about Roy Moore? Remember Roy Moore, Republican Senate candidate in Alabama? Many women came forward and said this guy hit on them hard when they were teenagers, and he was in his 30s. When it came to Roy Moore, oh, pious Orrin Hatch had more positions than the Kama Sutra. First, he said Moore should step aside if these allegations were true. Then he changed that and said Moore should pull out in favor of his GOP primary opponent, Luther Strange. But when Donald Trump defended Moore, Orrin Hatch changed his mind again and said many of the things Moore allegedly did were decades ago. And he defended Trump, saying that's the only Republican we can get down there. We're talking about a pedophile, folks. 
We're talking about a pedophile. And he said if he was elected, the election would settle an awful lot of questions. How about Brett Kavanaugh? When psychology professor Christine Ford alleged that the Supreme Court nominee had sexually assaulted her back in in high school, Orrin Hatch surprised nobody by saying there were lots of reasons not to believe her. Hatch said he believed Kavanaugh because the judge told him he wasn't at the party where the alleged assault happened. But Christine Blasey Ford never said the date or the location of the party. So then Hatch changed his statement and said, well, Kavanaugh denied being at the party as described by her. Hatch said she must be mistaken. Because even if the allegation were true, Kavanaugh is a good man and senators should judge who he is now. Right? I mean, my goodness, what would the New York Times say? Well, oh, here we go. At least they they found a couple of times when he believed the women. You know when? If they accused Democrats. Because when Al Franken announced he would step down after several women accused him of groping and trying to kiss him, Hatch said, serving in the Senate is a privilege. And here we hold our members to the highest ethical standards. And I expect any of my colleagues to adhere to those standards. No women ever claimed that Al Franken gave him a black eye or hit on them when they were underage. No women ever had to get a restraining order against Al Franken. Oh, let's not forget Bill Clinton's impeachment trial, where Orrin Hatch said, This great nation can tolerate a president who makes mistakes, but it cannot tolerate one who breaks the law and then tries to cover it up. Which brings us to this fine Mormon gentleman's attitude towards Donald Trump. Or as Orrin Hatch called him, one of the greatest presidents I've served under. Manu Raju once asked Warren Hatch about the allegations of the Trump crimes over hush money for Stormy Daniels, which wound up being true. And Hatch said the Democrats will do anything to hurt this president. Uh, and, and, and when he said, well, no, the Southern District of New York says this, Hatch said, OK, but I still don't care. All I can say is he's doing a good job as president. They asked about Trump's many alleged crimes in New York State. He said, I don't think he was involved in crimes. But even then, you know, you can make anything a crime under current laws. He said, President Trump, before he became president, that's another world. Since he's become president, the economy has charged ahead, and I think we ought to judge him on that basis rather than trying to drum up things from the past that may or may not be true. Remember when Donald Trump said that (laughs) Judge uh, Gonzalo Curiel shouldn't be allowed to judge him over Trump University because he's a Mexican? He was actually born in Indiana, but Trump's a racist. Um, Orrin Hatch said, my experience with Donald Trump is he doesn't have a prejudiced bone in his body. What about the grab by the pussy video from Access Hollywood? Hatch tweeted these comments were offensive and degrading, but he didn't stop supporting him. And months later, he said he defended. He said, look, that's all years before. I happen to be a Mormon by religion. Our religion believes people can repent. They can change their lives, which apparently he's changed in his life. I don't even know if that was true or if it was just locker room talk, but it was 11 years before. I'm not going to judge him by mistakes he made a decade before or more. I'm sure he realizes it was a mistake. Um, they asked about his recent... I mean, they asked him about his messages after Charlottesville, about the Ku Klux Klan. You know, at one point, Trump disavowed David Duke's endorsement, and then he wouldn't disavow it on TV the next day, and blamed his failure to disavow it on a bad earpiece. And uh, Hatch said he didn't think Trump deep down was really a racist. He said he's just inexperienced in expressing himself. I think it's up to us to make it clear we don't tolerate those types of racist organizations, and I don't know many people who believe that Republicans do. I think deep down Donald Trump doesn't tolerate it either. I think he's just inexperienced in expressing himself and things like that. Hatch was also one of the senators to sign a letter urging Trump to pull out of the Paris Climate Agreement, which he did. So look, I'm ranting about the man and he's not here to defend himself. So let me just say, when Democrats controlled the Senate, Hatch was happy to cut deals, even with liberals like Ed Kennedy. They worked together on making the state children's health insurance program in 1997. He gets credit for that. Uh, he was friends with Ruth Bader Ginsburg. He personally lobbied Bill Clinton to choose her for the Supreme Court. He, he did evolve on gay people enough to vote for the 
Employment Non-Discrimination Act. Uh, he, he, he sponsored the Americans with Disabilities Act. That's the last thing Republicans have done that, that was putting non-millionaires first. Fight me on it. David Axelrod said at a low moment during my White House years when a barbed piece about me had been written, I got an unexpected call from Warren Hatch, who I knew, if not well, don't let the bastards get you down. It was a kindness, unusual in Washington. So I'm sure he had a sweet side. But he also opposed the Equal Rights Amendment. He used the filibuster to block a fair housing bills. He tried to criminalize abortion. I guess the New York Times would have to say that truly, if you compare him to Matt Gates and Marjorie Taylor Greene and Paul Gosar and Lauren Boebert, yes, he was a model of morality and grace. May he rest in peace, and in the next life, may others be kinder to him than he was to them. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. I'm John Fugel saying thanks so much for joining us. I'm so thrilled to welcome back the great Angelo Corazon. He's president and CEO of the nonprofit media watchdog Media Matters for America, which we need more than ever these days. This gentleman is an authority on right-wing extremism, online toxicity, uh, general rank fuckery, fake news, and all how all those things get handled online and in the media. He was a big hero in terms of uh, the pressure campaigns that resulted in Glenn Beck's and Bill O'Reilly's termination from Fox News. He's also one of the advocates 40 under 40, and The Guardian highlighted him as a leader of grassroots activism in the Trump era on a day when the richest man in the world takes over the flow of information on the busiest social platform in the world. There's no one I'd rather talk to than Angelo Carasone. Good evening and welcome back. Thanks for having me. Thank you. How have you been, sir? I'm not too bad. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. Looking forward to yeah. getting back to our studio, hopefully hopefully next month. It's been a couple of... Although it's months. under 40 for not so much longer, so I was glad you got that in there because it's, it's right only... On. I'm, I'm down to the days here until, uh, hey, until I can Hey, no it doesn't matter there. how old you get. You were always on the 40 <laughs> under 40. Under 40. That's true. That's true. <laughs> Um, you know, a lot of Republican lawmakers took to Twitter today to celebrate this like somehow it was a victory for them uh, yeah. that Elon Musk has bought this. Um, Marjorie Taylor Greene, of course, uh, you know, my generation's Joan of Arc. Uh, she said that uh, she predicted that she will. She knows she will now get her personal account back after it was permanently suspended because she was lying uh, about a plague. What's your initial thought uh, based on this? It's really one of the I mean, for all the coverage that CNN Plus tanking got, this is the really the, the media story of the year so far. Oh, yeah. No, this is a huge story. Um, and it's a huge story. I think that it's a huge story in ways that I don't think the current reactions actually reflect. Right. So people are just really upset right now because like anytime there's change, it's upsetting. And Elon Musk is kind of like contemptible and odious for a lot of reasons. And then, as you point out, there are really, really bad people. 
Uh, and Marjorie Taylor Greene, strangely enough, amongst this group of people that are celebrating, isn't even the worst. Like there are yeah. actual Nazis and white supremacists and like really horrible, uh, violent people that are very, very excited about this, about Musk acquiring Twitter because they all think they're going to get their accounts back, uh, which is going to allow them to like, you know, do a whole bunch of stuff that got them banned in the first place, which was like, yes. using people. Um, but I actually think to me, the big thing here is that it's a pivot point. Um, this is actually, in, I see this in many ways as similar to what happened. And it's because partly because of Musk and partly because of the way that Twitter plays out. You know, it's when Fox sort of was born, the idea behind it was that it was a counterbalance to the rest of the news media. That's right. And in a lot of ways, Musk sees this as a counterbalance to a whole range of policies that were put in place on social media. Um, and he's been talking about this for like two or three years where he's teased the idea you know, in conversations and on, on Twitter that he wants to buy a network or some kind of social media outlet because it's time to push back against this sort of woke culture. And I think that he sees this as an opportunity to do, you know, it's not as ideologically pure as say what Ailes and Murdoch tried to do in the nineties, but he sees this through ideological terms, which is that this is an opportunity to demonstrate uh, in his mind, a, a sort of open environment, uh, very much the way that like a sophomore in high school that just read and ran for the first time would like regurgitate that stuff back to you and think they have some like really profound thoughts. Like in his mind, I think he thinks that he's going to unwind all these policies, let all these people back. And that like in the marketplace of ideas, you know, those good ideas are just going to rise to the top. And in reality, though, um, I think that that's why they're excited, not just because they see this as a chance to get back on the platform, but in a way, they see this as a, a mechanism to own the libs. And that is really a driving strategy, you know? So, right. So, and I mean, and the libs are, of course, the people that Donald Trump always wanted to be accepted by and the people that Elon Musk wants to be accepted by. He wants to be yeah. Hollywood. He wants to be cool. Um, but but if, if they're going to turn Twitter into a place where you're allowed to spread all the lies you want about the coronavirus pandemic and spread all the lies you want about the 2020 election, isn't that just turning it into Facebook? Yeah. Or like Parler or Getter, right? Like there's a reason why a lot of these conservatives that have been pushed off of Twitter or left are not happy on these other platforms. And that's because there are no mainstream figures there. There are no journalists. There are no liberals. There are no just like regular people. There's no one to big... hate. There's yes, no one to hate. Parler's exactly the right. echo chamber. There's no liberals for them to try to own. So who wants that's to it. go someplace where you have to exchange Correct. ideas and not hate people? That's exactly right. And that's, that's it. And that is... That is partly why this is they see this as a, as important for them as they can come back. I think you're right that in some ways they turn it into Facebook or into another cesspool. It will diminish in its value. Um, you know, in the short term, I, I think that there'll be some gains. Right. What will end up happening is that the floodgates will open. There'll be some metrics that will show really high levels of engagement because a bunch of people are going to come back online. There's going to be increased press attention around Twitter because everybody's sort of watching this thing unfold and wondering what happens. Um, and so it'll look like a success story. At least that'll be the narrative that he spins. But you're right that what he'll learn pretty quickly is that ultimately just the way that Tumblr died seemingly overnight when they cut to their core business and sort of got rid of a whole range of accounts that were very, very relevant um, uh, or when they tried to adapt to OnlyFans, like, you know, at, at its core, Twitter is a place for engagement, for influencers, for journalists, for activists, for business leaders. And they just there is a, there is a ceiling as to how, for and a comedians. For how much people would tolerate comedians. Place, that's right. Place and, for comics. You know, and we've and that's that is going to be ultimately what it boils down to it, that it, he if he really wants it to be that place, what he's going to realize is that 
regardless of what he calls them, norms, rules, it, it, there has to be some baseline expectations that he's willing to enforce. Otherwise, people are just going to walk away. And even if they don't walk away, they'll, they will quit in practice, meaning they'll just stop using it, right? They'll, right. they'll lurk on TikTok. You know, they'll, they'll join more groups and more like group messages. They'll move over to WhatsApp stuff. Like they'll naturally adapt. It'll take time. And there is a mourning there. I understand why some people are upset because it, there will be a loss. And, you know, Twitter changed my life. I would have been, I'd be a lawyer right now if there wasn't Twitter. Like I joined Twitter to procrastinate while I was in law school, right? To start this, I have to do this stop back. That was procrastinating. Like, and I'm but not But what's sure. the loss? What's the loss, Angela? What are people losing by this? I think that, I think in the short term, Obviously, it's individual, right? I, I don't. I think there's two things that will happen. One, there will be some individuals that are harmed um, directly because I mean, I, I was watching it tonight. There's already an organize an organizing effort for people uh, to organize attacks against trans people. Um, a massive day where a few hundred of them go online. They have already have an index of prominent trans people and not so prominent trans people on Twitter because they think it's gonna it's gonna be acceptable now. They're gonna go back and do this massive conservative harassment campaign. Like there are gonna be people that are affected. So. You're, you're right. There is a, you know, in Musk's vision, you know, do I think there's a little bit of hysterics and histrionics right now? Sure. Yeah, there is. Um, I, I think that what people are tapping into is something a little bit deeper, which is that there is a powerlessness here too, right? This guy came in with a massive amount of money and overpaid for something and was able to get it with little resistance and, and, and any assurances. Yeah. I mean, even Rupert Murdoch, when he bought the Wall Street Journal, he overpaid for the Wall Street Journal when he bought it. And there was a lot of resistance. But you know what Rupert Murdoch needed to do in order to get that deal done? He needed to make literally conditions of sale that protected the newsroom from the types of editorial opinions that we see in the in the in the in the journal's editorial set, right? People don't really get mad at the Wall Street Journal's news section, right? There actually is Never. a legitimate divide there. Le- totally. And, yeah. Right. And like, and that is like even Murdoch. When he tried to buy that and overpaid, still there was still some power that people had, and I think the the mo- what is disruptive to people here, though I don't think they're explaining it well, is that it feels like this guy basically just came in and did something really fast without providing any assurances or safeguards, and in fact, almost seems to be intentionally tweaking. You know, Rush Limbaugh used to call them media tweaks, and the liberals and the journalists always took the bait. Right. He'd say something terrible and people would react and he'd say, I'm just tweaking the media, media tweaks. And everyone was in on the joke. Right. You know, and Musk is doing that to an extent, too. He's looking to elicit a reaction out of people to demonstrate how hysterical people are to justify the types of actions and to reinforce that he's on the right path here. Right. And um, so I I do want people to be careful about the hysterics because I think that's significant. I worry always about journalists. I think that this horribleness and some of the right wingers coming back will present an irresistible temptation for them in the short term to write about, to cover, to give disproportionate influence to. And I do think that will go to your question. What's the harm? I think the harm is in some of the lazy reporting that we'll see in the short term. Um, And, you know, there's always a little bit of nostalgia for things. I mean, I'm not, I'm not an anti-Twitter person. I think it's, I think everyone there is really reactionary. I mean, I post pictures of my dog and people get mad at me because she has cropped ears. It's like, same. I didn't cry. I didn't cut her ears. That's how I got her. You know, people get mad at me. It's like, why are you, why are you doing this animal abuse? It's like, yeah, I know, but isn't it more animal abuse to leave my dog? Like, why are you? But that's, but that's, that's the beautiful you know? thing about it, Angelo. Like the that's one right. thing I think that consistently unites the left and the right is an addiction <laughs> to umbrage. We love being yes, offended. Totally. Whatever your ideology is, we Completely. go online to get offended and outraged. A hundred percent. But I think, and so I do think that some of the reaction is that you're right. The short-term harms are not clear yet. It is Pretty clear, though, that Musk has some ideological intentions here. 
And I really do worry about other platforms. Just as an insider, I would say like somebody focused on disinformation. I will say quite honestly that when it came to thinking about the problem of disinformation, I'm not talking about some of like the political correctness stuff, but like real concerted disinformation extremism efforts. Twitter was not always, but often a vanguard when it came to making changes that ultimately filtered over other platforms. So for example, manipulated media and deep fakes in February, March, and April of 2019, it was still not against the rules to post a deep fake about a politician or anybody. That's right. It was Twitter that was first out of the gate that said, hey, not only are we going to ban this deep fake thing, we're going to have really strong detection. And Twitter doing that created a lot of pressure on YouTube and Facebook and the others to take action. And there's other examples of that where Twitter was a vanguard. And they have a lot of reasons for being a vanguard because of the nature of who their audience was, to, use, to your point before, more elite, right? So they were catering to a very specific subset, but that had big spillover effect. And there is a harm in that being gone. I don't know who the new lead steer is. Snapchat? Maybe. You know, but they even what else has their own problems. There was a desire for, tic- for Twitter to be a little bit more um, of, an, of, a, of a vanguard when it came to some of that stuff. That's now gone. Um, and yeah, in fact, I worry right. it'll be the opposite, that Musk will demonstrate or reinforce the idea that, you know, <laughs> enforcing some of these rules is like sort of passe. So, you know, I, I think we have some some examples of, of what the concerns are. I would caution people to be a little careful uh, and not cut off their nose to spite their face just yet. Don't quit Twitter the way a lot of the conservatives did. Like, I don't think we should be reactionary fundamentally, especially if that's a pace, you know, where a place where you get information where you may have some power. Um, but I, I think we should be aware. That's all. Yeah, I mean, one of my biggest reasons for mistrust is that Musk is keep continually harping on this issue of free speech, that he's yeah. only doing this because he cares so much about free speech. And the point I keep coming back to is Twitter doesn't have the power to deny any American citizen their First Amendment rights. If a right. privately owned Internet company does not let you use their free online platform because you violated their terms of service, you can still say whatever the fuck you want anywhere you want to say it. And so to me, the entire campaign to buy it has been built on this tower of disingenuousness. And well, the yes. trolls are all saying the same thing. Oh, it's about free speech. No one's free speech has been denied. You can go to many, many online. I mean, the, the conservatives are saying how their free speech has been taken away on thousands of podcasts and news <laughs> channels and radio stations. No. Right. No, you're right. And I think but I think that's an important point in all of this, because I think it speaks to some of or at least gets to the core of where some of the emotional and legitimate concerns are that, you know, when Fox News was launched and they called it fair and balanced, it was a double entendre. Right. Most people in the public was like, oh, they're going to try to be fair and they're going to try to be balanced. But what they really meant was we're going to be fair to conservatives and we're going to balance out the rest of the liberal media. Right. It was always. And and to the the thing is, the thing about that was the tweet that. Yeah, it's not it's a, it's a not the free speech thing is a not so subtle argument that you get to basically do whatever you want uh, and that the rules that got you in trouble, we're going to allow that to proliferate here. And that's kind of what he's conveying there, which is that you should be able to. And this is you know when I made the Anne Rand thing, it wasn't just me being kind of nasty, although I'm happy to be. It's just it is a little bit juvenile. Like there is this idea that you shouldn't censor people and you shouldn't do anything that's just that, that touches on censorship or squelches it because you should let these bad ideas sit out there and simmer. And what it ignores is that if the bad ideas are coupled with abusive behavior, the reflex is actually, the result is to squelch speech. People are not going to participate if you're going to get punched in the face. And anyone that was bullied knows that. Um, And so, you know, 
uh, if especially, you know, funny kids who also, you know, maybe were not the coolest kids, right? If they were bullied, they're not going to tell jokes. They're not going to they get beat up, you know? And exactly. um, it's, so it is, it is a, it is a nod to, there's a reason why all these people are celebrating. And because what they hear there is not real free speech. What they hear is, I don't have to follow any basic norms of decency and I get to be as horrible as I want. I get to well, exactly right. Exactly right. So cowards can hide their identity and all conservative ideology now means is owning the libs. That's it. Yes. That's the only thing the movement stands for. And I think there may have been no bigger winner today than Donald Trump, because when the day began, I thought the biggest story was going to be a New York judge holding Trump in contempt of court yes. for not turning over documents related to the state attorney general inquiry. Donald Trump is now about to be fined $10,000 a day. And as soon as this announcement came through, that story was driven from the headlines. Nobody's yep. talking about it. And I guess in a bit of irony, Donald Trump, who was permanently suspended from Twitter uh, January of last year, has said he won't return to the platform. Um, that's probably good news to Devin Nunez, who, you know, was probably trashing his office at Truth Social today. I mean, Donald yeah. Trump showed over the weekend he can't even pronounce the name of the platform he's put his name on, which <laughs> was supposed to compete that. with Twitter. Um, you know, what's that about? Marge is saying that I'm going to get my platform back on Twitter and Donald Trump's saying he doesn't care. Yeah, I think that that's his way of one selling the platform and two, you know, it's interesting because he's saying that. And yet at the same time that that's happening, a whole bunch of people like Mark Levin, for example, who's a fairly substantial radio host, even though I think he doesn't really try to be talented anymore. He just kind of is on inertia. Um, he's like the top three or four largest radio host in the country. Yeah. Conservative. He quit Twitter in protest after they suspended Donald Trump. He rejoined today and is encouraging everybody to rejoin Twitter. Right now, that's seven million listeners, you know, yeah. and he's not the only one. There's a lot of Trump supporters that are rejoining. Um, uh, and I think that whether or not he rejoins is in some ways irrelevant. I think that in, it's a little bit of an irresistible temptation to him. I think the symbol of him being restored is will ultimately be a part of this um, and will definitely mean that he's back on Facebook. And here's another example of real harm. Like, you know, when Trump was taken off of the platforms and I want to point out that I, I don't I have lots of anti-Trump stuff. I'm not really big on just like banning people. I think that that's a pretty high threshold. But sure. When we went back and looked at all six thousand and eighteen of Donald Trump's uh, Facebook posts in twenty twenty, twenty four percent of them broke Facebook's rules. Like that's like fourteen hundred were actually rule violations. In no other scenario do you get like, like three strikes are out, maybe five. But like there's not any case where you get 1,400 instances and you somehow still get to have no sanction whatsoever. And so I do think his ban there was appropriate. What will almost inevitably happen is that he'll be back on Facebook. And yeah. just to put this into context, when he was kicked off the social media platforms, misinformation about the election reduced by 73% overnight. And that's because it wasn't just his reach. He was literally warping the algorithms. Yeah. And um, there are harms of, of that kind of distortion. And so him coming back does have a, a factor. It's not just about Trump. It's what he represents. I, I think it's going to be the platform. It's going to be hard for him to engage with the platform or keep those engagements because of what we talked about before. People want to own the libs. They want to fight. They want to scold. And it's going to be really hard for him to do it. And I think it'll end up becoming another cross-posting place just like yeah. you know all these conservatives that use these other platforms they always post to twitter first and they just yeah. copy their tweets over to telegram That's or whatsapp someone will just all, if trump does come back i think most of his postings will just be links to to you know truth social True social but, exactly you know That's my, it. My, my my take is not very hot i mean i i don't really care if donald trump comes back to twitter 
I don't yeah. want Donald Trump putting judges on the Supreme Court anymore. I could care less if he's on Twitter or not. I don't want him hiring judges and setting economic policy for my country. Twitter, fine. Have it. Enjoy it. I mean, it does seem fated that the place is going to become flooded with more ads because it's an impulse buy for Elon, and I'm sure he's going to want to make a profit. Yep. Yes. And I do think that's where the two things that I think are the guardrails here are the checks and all of this. And this gets to the larger double standard stuff, which is always a concern for me. Like, you know, I think one is the advertisers. You know, I, I think if you're going to say certain things are off limits, and this applies to both liberals and conservatives, is that there's a lot of stuff that say, oh, I don't want to deal with that. It's too political. It's too far out there. It's too left, too right. If you're going to have that policy and Twitter is going to become another vehicle for something that is just basically a reflection of right wing trolls, then you should count that as the same way you would treat parlor in your advertising strategy. You, they shouldn't get an exception because they're grandfathered in. And because, you know, just because it's changed hands, it was born before 2010. So somehow you get a pass, right? Yeah. Um, like it's the same thing now. If somebody was started and tried to say the things Rush Limbaugh said, they would never get a massive radio platform, right? He, he got grandfathered in for some reason. Um, and I think that one, that's one concern I have is what the advertisers will do. They can do an awful lot right now if they basically say, hey, there's some things we don't want you to roll back. It's good for business and it's good for us. And the other thing is Apple. And, and, and Google, they, they have an app store and, you know, Parler, weirdly enough, like became very aggressive about enforcing some of their own rules about really far extremism because Apple kicked them out of the app store for a while. Um, mm -hmm. But they never kicked Facebook out, even though Facebook was like right. a billion times worse. Um, and I think that it's, you know, if they, if they were consistent, things would be very different as well. And I do think one of the potential goods that come out of this is a little bit more awareness about where the real lever is here. And it's not so much the platforms, it's the app stores. And um, and I hope they're consistent, but you're right. He's gonna probably try to commercialize it to the best extent he can. And this is where some of those lines, I think will, will, will come into play. Um, but I do think, you know, it is an example of what, of the environment that we're living in, right? And, you know, in a year from now, when Rupert Murdoch goes and buys CNN, I think we'll be under a similar set of concerns uh, or considerations. And yep. is, you know, right, what happens when you get a bunch of money and a ton of cash You're and right. you can kind of do whatever you want? And that is I a mean, real risk, you know? That's why Mike Bloomberg, if he really meant it, he should have bought Fox News. Uh, Angelo Carasone is the president and CEO of Media Matters. Thank you so much, as always, for joining Thank us. You. I send to you my greatest condolences for the loss of your former colleague, our deep friend and series Thank regular, you. Eric Bollert. And uh, I look forward to seeing you on Twitter. Likewise. <laughs> yeah, I'm Follow him anywhere. at GoAngelo on the Twitter. Thank you so much. David in Nevada. Good day, Mr. John. How you doing? Great, sir. How are you? Fine. Hey, John, just for all your listeners, yeah. and especially if you live in Nevada. Please. Democrats better get this shit together because we got, I mean, a freaking ocean liner of lunatics running for these local, state, and federal positions coming up in these midterms. I yeah. mean, these people are out cold like they used to do it but with porky pig but that's all folks with looney tunes we got one candidate out here by the name of makara he's running around here he's already telling people to their face yeah i'm gonna make it that uh there's no same-sex marriages i'm yep. gonna make it that interracial marriages are now forbidden i'm that's going right. to also go and fight to get rid of medicaid medicare 
Social Security. The man setting up telling everybody because I'm you're a so right. conservative. This is why this is but you're nailing it because here's the deal. A lot of people are spending a lot of money to make a lot of Americans think that this midterms is already over and done with. And that's gaslighting. And we have to get out there. The Republican Party is doing what they do sometimes like in 2012. They're nominating a lot of idiots. I mean, once the nominees are decided, some of these people are going to be very easy to beat if we get the turnout. Thank you, David, for the call. You are the most brilliant kid in class. 